Hello, my name's Tom Boone. And I'm Joanna Bailey. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Simple Flying Podcast, where we'll give you the lowdown on the latest news from the world of commercial aviation. Here's what we have for you this week. Coming up today, we say ciao to Alitalia and welcome Itta with a look at what we know so far, while Tom tells us about a German airport that's gone bankrupt. Joe will fill us in on United's massive route announcement while I talk about a Boeing 787 milestone. Finally, I'll see why Air New Zealand has been inviting passengers to take a jabber seat. So now you know what's in store. We're, of course, eager to get on with the show. But before we do, here's Joe with a brief update on our exciting Future Flying Forum event in November. Joe, tell us more. (laughs) Thanks, Tom. So we've talked a little bit about the airline CEOs that we're having at the Future Flying Forum. Um, But, you know, everybody knows airline CEOs. They tend to say the same thing fairly often. But I just wanted to highlight some of the industry experts we've got coming along as well, um, who will be really interesting to listen to. um, And I'm really excited to hear from, actually. So from the top, we've got Brendan Sobey, who's a leading aviation analyst. And he's going to be presenting a brand new white paper on the trajectory of Australia. Australia's aviation recovery. Uh, We've got John Grant from Midas Aviation giving us all the numbers on Asian aviation's future. Um, A lovely chap called Evert DeBurr talking about the future of airline loyalty. Our very own James Pearson will be looking at the incredible low-cost scene in India. While uh, my lovely colleague here, Tom, is speaking with Andreas Spaeth about the world's, uh, who I have to say is probably the world's second most dedicated A380 fan <laughs> after Tom himself. And they'll be looking at the future of the A380 outside of Dubai, of course. Mm. Um, we've got Ben Griffin, VP of Mobility at OneWeb, which is the exciting low Earth orbit British um, company. They're going to be talking about how Leo is going to make in-flight connectivity so much better. And we're going to be addressing diversity in aviation with Martin Gauss, our favourite CEO of Air Baltic, and his Senior Vice President of Human Resources, Alina Rossina. Hmm. Um, We'll be talking about sustainable aviation fuel with Jonathan Wood from Neste. And finally, Shashank Nigam from our friends over at Simply Flying is unveiling a brand new resource from the team. So really lots to look forward to. And if you're sick to death of hearing airline CEOs talking and not getting involved in the conversation, um, next week I'm going to tell you a bit about the platform we're using and how it's going to invite you to network and get involved in the conversation um, and really, you know, be part of the event, not just kind of sitting and listening all day long. So Mm. we're really excited. I hope you guys are too. Please do sign up at futureflyingforum.com and hopefully we'll see you there. I'll see you there for sure. I've already tried to schedule a meeting with you on our platform that we're going to hear about next week. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. Cool. So with that out of the way, let's get on with the show. And today it's my turn to start, which is exciting. So if you haven't already heard enough of my voice, here I go again. <laughs> we could <can laughs> so never last hear enough week... of your voice, Joe. <laughs> I, I never listen to it back, so uh, I, I never hear enough of it, that's for sure. So last week it was the historic final flight for Italy's flag carrier Alitalia. Um, yes, the airline that has limped on for so many years finally, finally closed its doors. Um, so the final flight was AZ1586. Um, and it flew in from Caligari, 
if I said Caligari, that right. Caligari, I think, yeah. Caligari. And <laughs> that looked far too simple. Um, <laughs> and it was just a one hour and five minute flight to Rome Fiumicino Airport, um, where it touched down at about 10 past 11. Um, so that was the, the very last operation of Alitalia. And it handed the torch on for the flag carrier's role to the newly founded ITA. Hmm. Um, the aircraft that did the historic final flight was nothing special, I have to say. Um, it was registered EIDSV and it was a 13-year-old A320-200 on lease from Aircap. Um, so not a very special airplane, but a very special moment because this was the end of 75 years of Italian history. You know, this is an airline that really embraced, you know, the Italian La Dolce Vita and the whole mm. sophistication of Italy in, in the post-war times. You know, once it was only behind in size to British Airways and Air France. So it was a oh, significant wow. airline, um, but it has tumbled from its kind of pedestal to becoming something of a money pit for the Italian taxpayer. Um, it's been more than 20 years since Alitalia turned a profit. Um, and despite bailout after bailout, the airline just continued to sink. Um, and as we all know well, it's been in bankruptcy protection for nearly four years. Um, and although the Italian government tried to sell it on, there was no willing bidder that could be found. Um, we had high hopes for lots of different bidders, but nobody hmm. ever actually sealed the deal. Um, so under the strain of COVID, the airline was renationalized and taken off the market. So now the story that's been three quarters of a century in the making has finished and come hmm. to an end. Um, it's keeping going, though, because the brand is still around, even if it's not alive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're coming to that. So ITA has picked up from October the 15th, where Alitalia leaves off. Um, what do we know of ITA so far? Well, we know they're starting with a trimmed down fleet of 52 aircraft. They've got 45 narrow body and seven wide body. They're starting off with a slew of domestic flights, but also a bunch of international destinations as well, um, mainly in Europe. But there's also Cairo in there. Um, there's um, Tirana, there's uh, Tunisia, New York, Tokyo, Haneda. Um, so it's kind of adding gradually. And next year, it's going to be looking at flying as far as Boston, Buenos Aires, Miami, Sao Paulo. Um, later on, it's also going to be going to Los Angeles and a bunch more European destinations. So it's still a full service carrier. It's got business and economy on sale. In fact, it's flying the same airplanes that Alitalia used to fly, probably with the, the same crew as well. But, you know, <laughs> eventually it wants to get up to 105 aircraft, which is still a lot smaller than Alitalia mm. was at its peak. Sounds quite um, and ambitious though. It is going to be fairly sizable, um, but the important thing here is that it will feature 70% new technology planes. So mm. right now it's inherited this kind of fleet of ageing A320 family and A330 wide bodies from its predecessor. It's going to continue to be all Airbus, um, but it's going to be getting lots of new generation planes. So it's signed already an MOU with Airbus for 28 new aircraft, um, and they're going to start delivering in the first quarter of next year. So that includes 10 A330 Neo, 11 A320 Neo family aircraft and seven of our favourite A220s, which Yay. will be lovely to see. Um, there's also a leasing agreement with ALC for 31 aircraft on top of those, um, which is for 15 more A220s, a couple of A320 Neos, nine A321 Neos and five more A330 Neos. So lots of Neo aircraft there for our Neo Italian airline. Mm. Um, most interestingly, though, as Tom just mentioned, um, the... 
Itter, surprisingly, at the very last minute, spent 90 million euros to buy Alitalia's branding. That's around $105 million. It was less than the asking price. Um, but, you know, we thought, well, what does that mean? It, it, it means, in theory, that Itter can indefinitely continue to use Alitalia's identity, its internet domain, its website, its livery, its uniforms. Mm. Um, but it will remain legally separate, basically, so it doesn't become liable for Alitalia's debts. Um, But actually, it's not going to do that. Uh, It's not going to use any of the Alitalia stuff. The only reason it bought all that stuff for all that money was to stop anyone else using it. Um, Kind of protectionist, but there you go. Mm. And in fact, last week, they revealed a rather unusual and surprising new livery. Mm. So rather than our kind of gold, white and tricolor of, of Alitalia, this new airline is going to be blue. Mm. Um, something to do with a football team, apparently, but I don't do sports. So <laughs> go and ask a football fan. Yeah, um, don't it will ask have me a... because I still have bad memories of that England v Italy final. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I don't talk about Italian football. <laughs> <laughs> it will have the tricolor, um, which will be on the tail of the aircraft. And there's also hints of the old Alitalia logo on the engines. Mm. Um, you know, there's a bit of a nod to its history, but the most of the aircraft is this very bright, bright, blue Mm. and then within the blue towards the kind of tail end of the fuselage there's these weird little symbols which apparently are supposed to uh, be inspired by artistic heritage and fashion um, which are obviously the things Italy's very famous for Mm. Um, I think it's you know what Tom would call a Marmite livery I'm not really a fan you see you'd say that but I I'm actually I really like it I'm quite drawn into it, but I feel I'm the only person on the internet with that view, having (laughs) read a lot of comments on our articles about it. I think you might be. I mean, I think the blue and the little symbols is lovely, Mm. but the fact that they've maintained the tricolor and the the little thing on the engine, it just looks like two liveries have been stuck together. It's almost like Breeze and Alitalia had a a mutant (laughs) baby, you know? (laughs) Well, I don't know. I like it. I think it's people grow on it because people are always... You know, when we're talking about liveries, everyone's always really quick to jump on the I hate the sort of Euro white that everyone has where it's Mm. just the tail painted. And I feel like people would rather that than this exciting new livery. (laughs) Well, it will be nice to see something that's not white on the Mm. tarmac for sure. I'm waiting Um, for it to come to Frankfurt with my camera. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. Well, uh, when they roll out their livery, finally, they don't seem to be in a hurry. Mm. Um, They're also seeking Sky Team membership, obviously, to kind of fill Alitalia's shoes there. And I think, you know, the question everybody's asking, is it really a new airline or is it just Alitalia wearing new clothes? Um, But I guess time will tell. Mm. (laughs) <laughs> well, you were saying about Alitalia losing a lot of money, and it seems they're not the only people in Europe this week, because the thing that I wanted to talk about is sort of a fresh story from today as we are covering this. But Frankfurt Hahn Airport is now insolvent, and this was first reported by the German publication Wirtschaftswoche. <laughs> Pronunciations coming. Um, Okay. So basically, the local court in uh, Bad Kreuznach uh, published documents confirming that the airport is insolvent. So it's now entering an administration period. And it's it's quite interesting because the airport is located in the federal state of Rhineland-Palatinate. However, its ownership isn't actually located in the state today. So according to local media, the airport was converted from a US military base by the state where it is, which later sold it. So today, 82.5% of the airport is held by the Chinese HNA group. Um, and I know in January, you were writing that the that group had basically gone bankrupt. 
That's right. I didn't know they owned uh, an airport mm. in Germany as well. Well, apparently they do, but the remaining one, uh, 17.5%, is owned by the neighbouring state, Hessen, which is where we are in Frankfurt. And I do kind of wonder if um, Hessen kind of got confused, like all the Ryanair passengers intending to fly to Frankfurt that have ended up two hours' drive away. <laughs> um, but, you know, speaking of Ryanair, it seems like they kind of have a bit to do with how things are going at the airport because if you look at a graph of their flights i did my data thing you know i love my data um, if you look at a graph of the flights they've been operating over the past 15 years in 2007 they were operating or in total there were roughly 79 flights a day there were 28,756 flights for the whole year according to sirium uh, but by 2019 so this is even before the pandemic um this had fallen by 7,000% to 8,590 uh, flights in 2019. So it's it's really going down. And I've, I made a graph sort of overlaying Ryanair flights um, with other flights on top of it. And you can see that the number of other flights has stayed fairly, um, fairly constant, but the number of Ryanair mm. flights over the past years has dropped by like over 20,000 a year. So um, oh dear. not... not each year, but like per year, um, mm. doesn't really make sense. Over the period. Uh, yeah, yeah, over the period. <laughs> I know what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that help. Um, so it's interesting. It seems like Ryanair is kind of a big part of the airline airport's dwindling popularity. Because um, recently, you know, since 2017, they've been able to fly directly to Frankfurt, which is where people flying to Frankfurt mainly want to travel you know like yes travel to frankfurt Hahn, and unless it's it's like stansted um and london you know it's not really great for the city it's named after but there are some people who live quite close to it um, <laughs> yes it's interesting though because the number of um freight operators has increased over 800 percent from 2006 to 2018 um, mm. with 31,745 flights in 2018 compared to 3,479 flights in uh, 2006 so freight had been doing quite well it's dropped off quite a bit in 2019 but i'm just wondering if that's uh, maybe more to do with how the flights are scheduled who knows mm, um, possibly but yeah so um that's one to watch i'm not quite sure what will happen but watch this space um i assume it will just continue running in administration for the time being um if there are scheduled flights they'll have to won't they mm. you know they can't just stop people using the facility all yeah, of a sudden it's, it's but, a bit uh, of a tricky one and we'll have to wait and see what happens but yeah, interesting. Been mm. uh, interesting how whether to see whether Ryanair's departure did have a big impact on that airport. Mm. I think in many ways Ryanair makes or breaks a lot of uh, European airports. It does, you know, and um, I mean, it, it's quite interesting for the sort of smaller airports because already before the pandemic, Ryanair had realised actually our customers want to fly to these bigger airports and. Um, you know, I was listening to a talk by, I think it was O'Leary or it might have been Eddie Wilson um, earlier this year. And they were saying like airports that they'd um, call like, uh, say, uh, Stockholm Orlando, they'd constantly be like, can we get in? Can we get in? And uh, they mm. wouldn't even answer their calls. And now it's th these airports are phoning Ryanair saying, will you come? Will you come? Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, they've lost so many other carriers, yeah. I guess. Mm. 
Oh, well, we shall keep you updated on uh, on yes. that German airport. But talking about uh, European airports, there's a, a US airline planning to fly to a, an unusual European airport. Um, but we'll begin at the beginning of this story. It's always um, a good because, place to begin. Uh, <laughs> United Airlines had us guessing last week with their interesting Twitter video. Um, interesting that apparently, is an understatement. <laughs> apparently contained um, clues to a bunch of new routes the airline was going to be announcing. And uh, if you didn't catch it, it's quite a, an odd one about a lady rushing to get to her gate and she's mixed up, mixed up her suitcase with another man and mm. somebody in a buggy helps her get there and then they manage to swap suitcases and it's all right at the end. But within that, there's kind of a guy doing a crossword and there's some buttons on the on the bag that give you clues to airports and uh, some of them were really quite tenuous links, but yeah. um, it was a bit of fun. Thankfully, they didn't keep us guessing for long because it was literally like the day later or mm. a couple of days later, they well, made I'm the official announcement. Gave, I'm glad they gave the solutions because some of those, I don't even think the world's toughest um, <laughs> the un, uh, cryptographers <laughs> or whatever they're called um, would get it. No, no, it was the yeah some quite odd ones. But then there were some quite odd destinations within mm. their announcement as well. So um, in total, I mean, I say it's a huge announcement. There were five brand new destinations for summer next year. Um, but they, they're kind of unusual ones, which I think makes it quite a massive announcement. There were another five additional routes to existing destinations as well, some connecting from new airports. But we're mm. going to focus on the brand new destinations here. So included in this was Jordan, the Azores and Norway, um, and also Spain, um, whereas on the other side, it was bulking up its flights to Germany, Italy and Ireland. So uh, the first one to talk about is starting on May the 7th. The airline will fly from Washington, Dulles to Amman's Queen Alia International Airport in Jordan. Um, quite an unusual one, but exciting nonetheless. I'd love to go to Jordan. Mm. I nearly did um, a couple of years ago and I wish that I had. But that flight's going to operate year round using a Boeing 7878. And then on May the 20th from Newark, United's going to launch flights to Bergen Flesland Airport in, New in Norway. Mm. Um, this is going to be a three times a week service using its good old flying pencil, the 757-200. Um, and it's going to be the only US airline with flights to Norway next year. So kind of a monopoly on that route um, then on July on June the 2nd sorry it's going to be launching flights to popular old Palma de Mallorca uh, which we all love here in Europe and I'm sure that people from the US will too um, that's going to be going from Newark as well three times a week using a 767-300ER um, and again United will have a monopoly on this non-stop route from Newark to Palma de Mallorca mm. um, and then another Spanish one is the fourth which is Tenerife South another popular holiday resort in the Canary Islands um, this is going to be the only flight between the US and the Canaries and it will use the 757-200 and operate three times a week from June the 9th. Um, however, that's four of the five. Um, but the fifth is the most interesting that I, I well, I think so anyway, um, because on May the 13th, United will start flying from Newark Liberty to Ponta Delgada, which mm. is in the Azores. Um, and for this, they're going to be using their 737 MAX 8. Um, so the MAX is going to be travelling around 2,570 miles or 4,150 kilometres um, on an almost transatlantic hop. It's, it's almost yeah. <laughs> because the Azores are still quite some way from mainland uh, Europe. It's mm. about 900 miles to the west of Portugal, kind of in the middle of the Atlantic. But mm. it's a really cool destination, very outdoorsy, lots of lovely walking, very unspoiled. I know our, our CEO, Aaron, thinks it's like his private island and he's very... <laughs> kind of annoyed that there's going to be lots of US travellers joining well, I mean, his uh, 
uh, his trips out there. Delta went there before, didn't they? Because wasn't that where the 757 had the really hard landing and everyone that's said, right. that's yeah, going to be yeah, tin cans right. now and they actually fixed it and flew it back to the US? That's right. They've dropped the route now. Um, So United's going to be the only US carrier doing that route next summer. Um, And it's going to be doing it daily. So it's a really like high utilisation route as well, whereas most of the other announcements were three times a week. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I think it's going to do well. I'm not sure Delta ever flew it daily. Um, So they're keenly, obviously, uh, committed to it. Mm. Um, But for me, it was really exciting because it's the first time United's really done a a big overwater flight with the Max. Mm. Um, You know, the the Max 8 and 9 are already doing lots of the world's longest 737 routes. For example, Iceland Air takes it, what is it, like 3,500 miles Mm. to Orlando and Seattle from Keflavik. And I mean, Um, the Canadian ones bring it to London, I think in Manchester. They do, that's right. And United um, itself runs a very long flight on a max um, from Houston to Anchorage, Hmm. and that's over 3,000 miles. But it's obviously across land, so it's not like an ETOPS flight. It's not quite as exciting. Um, Yeah, as you say, Air Canada and WestJet, they've been bringing them to London, and WestJet also announced Toronto to Dublin flights recently. Hmm. I remember yeah, so it'll be exciting, I think, for United to really showcase its uh, ca- the capabilities of its max over water. And it's probably about the right size for that sort of route to run daily, you know, not too big and not too small. Yeah. And of course, they've got quite a good premium product on there and seatback screens at every seat. So mm. hopefully won't be too bad of an experience for the passengers either. Mm. Well, another interesting Boeing flight experience uh, that I wanted to talk about. Um, Would you believe it's almost been a decade since the 787 Dreamliner entered service? Gosh, still seems like such a new plane, doesn't it? I know, you know, we talk about it as like this latest, well, because it is um, Boeing's latest clean sheet design, but it's already Mm. uh, getting on quite a bit. So ANA put the aircraft into service on November the 1st, 2011, and they haven't let They've sort of taken note that we're coming up to 10 years since the first flight. And what they want to do is to basically recreate their launch day schedule. Um, All right. So they had, I think, two two 787-8 aircraft um, uh, flew two routes during the day. And they're going to recreate it not on the 1st of November, though. For some reason, they're going on October 31st. Mm. So one of the aircraft is going to fly from Tokyo Haneda to... Okayama, and the other one is going to go to Hiroshima. So they're basically pretty close destinations. You know, I did a map of them, and it looks like the routes are basically overlaid. Um, Mm. They're going to be selling, um, I think they're going to, uh, sort of similar to the A380 charter flights, I think it's going to be a sort of lottery to get on these. And, um, you know, people are going to get themed gifts on the flights. There's going to be water cannon salutes. You know, it's going to be sort of the big... um, a big uh, song and dance about this. They're not letting it go past. Um, <laughs> Good. And, you know, I, it's, it makes me happy because, you know, ANA is really one of the big 787 operators. I looked into the numbers and would, can you guess how many 787s they have? Uh, Anna? Yeah. Um, 50? 74. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> that's a lot. Yeah, I know. And that's they've even got another 22 on order. So... <laughs> Wow. They're, they're the world's biggest, are they? Uh, I don't know if they're the world's biggest, but, you know, they've got to be up there with that many planes. They're one of the Definitely. few airlines that operates all three um, mod- uh, models of it. I know uh, it comes to mind United and British Airways as well. Um, mm. You know, unfortunately, they haven't taken 
many new aircraft over the past year because of what's been going on. But what I did find interesting is that sort of in um, on October twelfth, uh, I think uh, seven eight seven, a brand new one flew from Victorville in California to Haneda Airport, and you know I was kind of thinking it looks exactly like a delivery flight, um, given all of the the sort of technicalities about it. I'm not going to go into all of it here mm. because I'll be going on for days about why <laughs> it looked like a delivery flight. But Boeing confirmed to us that um, the aircraft was previously delivered and it's just now flown across the um, the Pacific. I was going to say Atlantic. Uh, okay. But, um, <laughs> okay, so they've but, taken delivery on paper but just not welcomed yeah, the aircraft so in Japan. Uh, from my understanding, it's not a new aircraft delivery. but um, Okay, it's, because, of course, all Dreamliner deliveries are currently paused because yeah. of the new, 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 new Dreamliner <laughs> issue. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, um, Boeing told us that it wasn't a new delivery. Cool. Well, good to see Anna celebrating its Dreamliners. Um, hmm. There's a, another airline I want to talk about that's doing something cool with a Dreamliner. Because last Saturday, Air New Zealand gave travel-loving Kiwis a new option when it comes to getting vaccinated against COVID. So for one day only, the airline offered um, local residents the chance to experience its Dreamliner firsthand and get their jab. Um, so the airline took one of its 787s and set it up to become a pop-up vaccination clinic at Auckland Airport. Hmm. Um, and this was all in line with what's being called or what was being called Super Saturday, um, New Zealand's biggest ever push towards increasing the rather low vaccination rates in the country. Mm. Um, so anyone who needed either their first or their top up shot of the vaccine um, could get it done on the plane. Um, and th this was, uh, like I say, it's, it was in line with lots of other pop up clinics opening um i have to say like you know when you compare it to where i got vaccinated hmm. this sounds like luxury because well, uh, i don't know about you tom but i got to queue outside in the rain for at least 15 minutes and then i got to queue inside in a very cold tent for at least 20 minutes um and then i got to stand in a, in a big kind of stand on a dot for a while and then I got jabbed in the arm and made to sit in another cold tent for a few more minutes so there was, there was no luxury and certainly no snacks or or no, people being nice to me so uh, what's yeah, your I vaccination mean, story? For me it was um, because obviously Frankfurt's a huge city we have a big or we had a big program so I went to the um, big sort of festival hall um, and the actual process of getting in was super speedy for me. I think in about 10 minutes, I got um, from walking into being the next person to be jabbed. Um, mm, and that, that was good. only because they made me refill out all the forms because I filled out the <laughs> English version of the forms and they only wanted the German version. Um, <laughs> but then I had to wait, I think, 45 minutes because they'd run out of um, BioNTech. So they had to quickly defrost a load because it was um, <laughs> oh. late at night. But um, the other time was super speedy as well. And I thought that was quite cool at the time because it was in sort of like a big old concert hall. But mm. now you're telling me I could have been on an airplane. You could have been on a Dreamliner. And not yeah. only that, um, Air New Zealand, as I say, they called this the Jabba Seat vaccination, mm. uh, Jabba Seat flight, sorry, <laughs> Destination vaccination. Um, this is a nod to its old grabber seat promotions that it oh. runs in normal times. Um, so they, the people got their shots in the business class cabin. They got to sit there and roll down their sleeve and get their shot. And then they got shuffled off to economy for the waiting period where they got snacks and Air New Zealand goodie bags. Um, and once 
once they'd had their kind of mandatory waiting in the economy and got signed off to go out, there was a bit of a behind the scenes look at a hangar and a special mm. boarding pass. And, you know, me, I'm I got so a jealous. sticker. <laughs> I well, got a sticker and sent back out in the rain. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was really disappointed because in Germany, um, after I got mine, um, they released a load of initiatives to try and encourage people. Like I could have, if I'd just waited, um, I think two or three weeks to get my second vaccine, I could have got a free kebab. Oh, <laughs> worth it. Yeah, but hey, I'm I know happy they were I'm talking vaccinated. about starting to pay young people here because I think it's the the younger people that are not taking it up as as quickly. But mm. uh, I don't know whether they will. Well, they're quite tight in this country, mm. <laughs> probably not. Um, but yeah, I'd have much rather have been on an Air New Zealand Dreamliner. So uh, I'm not quite sure how good the uptake was, but I'm pretty convinced it would have been sold out very quickly. Mm. So uh, I think that's about all we've got time for today. We hope you enjoyed our podcast. And as usual, welcome your feedback at podcast at simpleflying.com. For more great content, you can visit our website at simpleflying.com or find us on social media. Simply search for Simple Flying. If you enjoyed our podcast, please leave us a rating on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.